0: I pulled open the front door and stared at the grossest thing I ever saw in my life. I stared at a head. A human head, wrinkled and leathery, about the size of a tennis ball. The pale, dry lips were pulled back in a sneer. The neck was stitched closed with heavy black string. The eyes, solid black eyes, stared up at me. A shrunken head. A real shrunken head. I was so shocked, so totally amazed to find it at my front door that it took me a long time to see the woman who was holding it. Are you Mark? she asked. Uh, yeah, I replied, staring at the shrunken head. They never looked so ugly in the photographs I'd seen, so wrinkly and dry. I hope I didn't startle you with this thing. I was so eager to give it to you, I took it out of my bag. Uh, give it to me? I asked. Your Aunt Benna sent it to you as a present, the woman said. She held out the head to me, but I didn't take it. I'd spent all day collecting shrunken heads in the game, but I wasn't sure I wanted to touch this one. Hello, and welcome to Say, Podcast, and Die, the podcast where two queers sit in their closet and tell you about Goosebumps.
1: And today, have we got a doozy for you. Goosebumps number 39, How I Got My Shrunken Head.
0: But it's not about therapy. <laughs> How I Got My Head Shrunken,
1: different <laughs> different book, uh, which I would read, R.L. Stein, if you're looking for book titles. I'm
0: Alyssa. I'm Andy. Do you want to talk about this cover? So this cover gives us a classic Tim Jacobus distorted perspective of a messy dresser. It's supposed to be a generic child, right? You've got a baseball glove, a baseball bat, a sock. Is there a baseball bat? Uh, sorry, a baseball glove and a baseball. <laughs> yeah, socks, some some high tops, a banner that says university, and a framed picture of a truck. I love that. And a green head with red eyes and black hair swept up in a in a little elastic, sitting on on said dresser.
1: The Shrunken Head has a very nice ponytail. I guess bird's eye view of the plot. Uh, I feel like it, it. It wasn't as bad as I was expecting. Yes. Unfortunately, it did not, to my recollection, contain the lines, Oh, hi, Mark, which would have been really. <laughs> um, oh, hi, Mark. Yeah, so the main character is Mark, and he is just some. He's kid- really busy. Sorry, now I'm just <laughs> quoting the room. He's just some kid, and he lives 4,000 miles away from the island we'll eventually get to. One day, this woman shows up at his house and is like, I have this shrunken head from you. It's from your Aunt Benna, who's a researcher on this island. You met her years ago, and he's like, oh, yeah. She's like, also, you're coming with us to the island. And so he does. It turns out his aunt's gone missing in the jungle because she's all swept up in her research. It also turns out Mark has something called jungle magic, which... Appears to be problematic. I don't know what else to say about it. It's a word, (laughs) it's a feeling. He knows a word his aunt taught him. She hypnotized him when he was young she wanted to hide this jungle magic from her co-workers who she thinks are going to use up the island for its mineral resources and they want to use the jungle magic to control the island. They threaten to shrink his head and his aunt's head to... I don't know what exactly their aim is. They just... I guess their figure, if, if you can, if we can't have the jungle magic, neither can you. That's the threat, but instead Mark uses the jungle magic to shrink them And then he just goes back home. And I guess they're just little tiny people the size of a mouse and probably get eaten by something. Yeah. And there's also a girl, like a girl his age there, who's the daughter of his aunt's rival scientist. And he also shrinks her. Yep. So that's the story. And, you know, there's a lot to talk about in it. Yeah. I'll say that.
0: So we open with our narrator, Mark, talking about how he likes to play this video game, Jungle King. It seems also like he's an obnoxious friend because he has two friends over and he's just wanting to play his video game. And the friends are like, what if we played anything else? What if we went outside? What if we played a different video game? And he's like, nah, I just want to play this one because I like going from vine to vine. He shouts this phrase, "Kalia" all the time. And he calls it like his jungle noise. His jungle cry that he just came up with when he was a kid.
1: And he's just in this game where there's like quicksand and living vines and you collect heads,
0: shrunken yeah, she, heads. And they are extra lives.
1: Yeah. And so if you get enough shrunken heads, you get an extra life. I think the one thing we can say about this opening is, as Alyssa's pointing out, he prefers it to reality. Mm-hmm. And I think he ends up kind of replacing his reality with this game fantasy because later on he supposedly goes to some island where it just happens to be the same as his video game. But maybe he's just detaching from
0: reality and living in his video game. I like that better. Than I like this. It better, too. He's also got an eight year old sister Jessica who does like to play the video game with him, but she's funny. Yeah. She annoys him because all she wants to do is like jump into the quicksand, which kills you because she likes the sound it makes. Thwok. Th-
1: my brother used to do that too, actually. Wait, thwok, that's what Yeah, it's snowman the same sound as the ended snowman. With. Yeah. Oh, nice callback, R.L. Stein. Yeah, when we would play King's Quest Six, I think it was, my brother liked to make Prince Alexander fall off a cliff because he thought it was funny.
0: <laughs> like the the scream. <laughs> And then we get a really R.L. Stein uh, body watch note. That's uh, Mark thinks he likes the game swinging from vine to vine because in reality, he's chubby.
1: Yeah. He wants to swing lightly above the ground like a bird. So we both have body image watch and bird watch.
0: Yeah. This is also not how video games work and people relate to them. Yeah. Everything in this book. Also, his friend Joel has a game called Battle Solitaire. I mean, I I would be, I would play.
1: (laughs) Isn't there... Oh, yeah. They they talk about, along with Battle Solitaire, the other games they talk about playing are Mutant Football and March Madness Basketball, which is clearly the worst of those three. Yeah,
0: obviously. (laughs) So eventually his friends are like, we're bored with this, and they go. Jessica is sort of messing with him, and then the doorbell rings, and he answers it, and it's a woman holding a shrunken head.
1: And we also learn around this time that Mark, for some reason, has just always been really into jungles and specifically old Tarzan movies. And when his sister was younger, they used to play that he was Tarzan and she was Cheetah. Mm -hmm. But now she doesn't want to play anymore. Yeah. Because she's eight. Whereas he's 12, and he still does. <laughs> he sees this shrunken head, he thinks it's really gross, and at this point I thought the pacing was actually quite good. It reminded me of, it came from Beneath the Sink, where you know,
0: chapter one, a little bit of set chapter two, this is the plot. Mm-hmm. So it turns out this woman, her name is Carolyn Hollings, and she works with his Aunt Benna. And this is when we learn that Aunt Benna is a researcher in the jungle. She studies both plants and animals, Mark tells us. <laughs> yeah, I don't really get what her research was focused on exactly. I, we'll get to it we get to the jungle but i think most of what she does is look at things and say "Ah, i just discovered this animal uh, yeah she's she's aunt
1: benna but she's a real uncle ben (laughs) uh, from from the the curse of the mummy's tomb right they're kind of the same person and also in sort of being like oh i'm a scientist and it's not clear that you are yeah so the woman uh carolyn she sounds kind of cool she's tall short black hair with gray streaks wearing a long raincoat buttoned to the top And she's got these large black framed sunglasses indoors. So she really has
0: a Carmen Sandiego look to her. Yeah, she does. So Jessica grabs the head and is pretending it bit her. And in doing so, she accidentally scratches his ear, which is a flag being waved saying, hello, I am foreshadowing. Yeah. And then so, you know, Mark gets it back.
1: And mom is about to get steamed. And when she does that, she crosses her arms and lowers her voice, which
0: Jessica does
1: right back at her, which tells (laughs) me this is a healthy family, I think.
0: Yeah, So and so we just have another game of children playing around with human remains, also yeah. as in Curse of the Mummy's Tomb.
1: So it takes a while before Mark really considers that it's an actual person's head. And then I don't think he really holds on to that fact.
0: No, he's told it's over 100 years old. And again, it's not just human remains, but it's stolen human remains. It's like the the summoner hand in Return of the Mummy. Yeah. And so the mom had no idea this woman was coming, even though she said, oh, I sent a letter. Like, didn't you get my letter? And so she stays the night with them. And that night, before bed, Mark brushes the shrunken head's hair. Right. Yeah. Like it's his... Barbie doll like it's like this is a princess she brushes her hair a hundred times before bed I guess it's a kind of caretaking I guess so it's just like it's a little late (laughs) caretaking (laughs) yeah the tangles in its hair are the least of its concern at this point Yeah, we learn Aunt Benna is a famous scientist. She his animal and plant life in Balladora. She's been there for 10 years about. Yeah, so I at this point Googled Balladora, as I think you did too. And so what came up was like a small administrative region in Sri Lanka, and mm-hmm. there was like a Balladora lake, but I couldn't really find any information about it. The point that's salient here is that, so Southeast Asia, where they eventually go, we don't really get a more specific description than that, is not where head shrinking was done. Where was it done? In the Amazon rainforest mostly.
1: Okay. It seemed like they had this idea of jungle in- their heads and it could have been anywhere in central or south america it ended up being southeast asia but it seems like that was just
0: one big grab bag yes and like there are some details in there which and I, i usually hate it when people speculate like this but it did make me wonder was this south america at one point and for some reason they switched it to southeast asia
1: that actually would make a lot more
0: sense yeah, because it doesn't make any sense. There's no reason for this to be set in Southeast Asia. I
1: wonder if someone just Googled Balladora. I guess it was before there, Google. There's no Google, yeah. It was a few years before Google, but I wonder if someone searched Balladora and was like, oh, I guess we should move this to Southeast Asia.
0: Well, I wonder if Arlstein just made up the name and it was a I coincidence. I think so, yeah. Because it, also, it wasn't even the full name of that administrative region. Yeah, that actually makes the most sense to me, that he just accidentally named a place that already
1: existed <laughs> yeah. and then an editor changed it. The important thing is that Jessica tries to trade him... Two kush balls for the shrunken head. You call them kush balls? What do you say? Kush. Kush. Kush
0: balls. It sounds like cooch. <laughs> kush sounds like kush. Yeah, that's what I thought. That they... <laughs> like it was a stoner, 90s stoner toy? Yeah. <laughs> well,
1: Goosebumps, you tell us, is it kush ball or kush ball? Also, I just... I also
0: say roof, and you say roof. That's true. So it's the same But also, like, what a 90s toy reference.
1: Those are so gross, too. They would always get full of hair and stuff, you know?
0: I just remember them being really fun to touch. I guess guess we had short-haired dogs. Yeah, we had a Samoyed, so (laughs) it would just
1: roll all up in the kush ball, the hair would. You know, Mark does point out at this moment that it's a human head, not a toy. It's worth at least three kush balls. (laughs) He's kind of freaked out by how it looks, but then he's like, oh, you know, I guess I wouldn't be smiling either if someone shrunk my head which shows some level of awareness. And then he
0: goes to sleep. That night, Jessica wakes him up because she had a bad dream and fell out of bed. And he's kind of annoyed because apparently she does this all the time. Is that normal? She's, it says every week she'll have a bad dream and wake up. It's an active sleeper. bed. So he goes up to get her a drink of water. And then he has what's probably a dream or maybe a dream. He, to, he's told later it's a dream where the head is glowing and floating. And my note here is, yeah, I mean, it would make sense that he'd be freaked out because he effectively has a human corpse in his room. Yeah, that would keep me up as well. Mm-hmm. If you were freaked out by dolls that, yeah. that were that were plastic or wood or porcelain or whatever... Yeah, it'd be scary if you had an actual human head.
1: Yeah, I was definitely scared of dolls coming after me, and if if it were flesh and bone, so much the more. Also... Jessica brings up a point here that was also bothering me, which is why did he get one and she didn't?
0: Yeah. And why didn't you also bring me human remains?
1: <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, it's not that great of a gift, but Mark speculates that it's because she's a girl and maybe Aunt Benna thought girls wouldn't like shrunken heads. I wish Jessica's like, well, I'm a girl and I do like them. But <laughs> we had we had some gender watch. That's, that's probably some real like.
0: 90s. Wow, this is a progressive move book.
1: (laughs) This is not a progressive book. I'm going to go ahead and say shocker on shock street right there, (laughs) including in terms of gender things, Mm -hmm. because we get an equivalent of Gabe's cousin, sorry, coming up here a bit, and it seems like the story punishes her for
0: being attractive,
1: being attractive, caring about her father rather than this guy she just met,
0: she just met, and also for not laughing at his jokes. Yeah. Mark goes to get his parents, and they essentially say, it was just a dream, go back to bed. But Carolyn also gets up and says, did you really see the head glowing? And he says yes, and she just sort of seems to take in this information. And then the next day we find out that actually, Carolyn is there to bring Mark back to the jungle with her.
1: Mom and dad basically just found this out too.
0: It's been like less than 24 hours. And I wouldn't a, have let this w- strange woman stay over at my place. A, yeah, and then a stranger shows up and says, "Oh, I know some. I know one of your relatives. They want me to take your kid." To a foreign country. That's cool, right? I brought a head. He doesn't need a like yeah, I brought I brought human remains. He doesn't need a visa or shots or anything. Don't worry about it. That was a confusing part <laughs> for me too. I mean, I guess he must have had a passport already,
1: but don't you have to plan these things? And yeah, but then the parents were just like, sure, that checks out. Dad's on business trips. Mom probably has her hands full with just Jessica. She's like, ah, oh, some girl time. <laughs> well, the important thing is that they're eating Fruit Loops for breakfast.
0: <laughs> and that the plot moves forward.
1: It does. So we learn that Balladora, it's in the 90s all the time. And it's also in the 90s hey. all the time. So it's hot there. But you have to wear pants and long sleeves to protect you from sun and insects and all kinds of reasons why we don't go to the jungle. Mar- like you and
0: I specifically do not go to the jungle.
1: Yeah. Other, I'm sure many people go to the jungle. But many people I'm do, not going. Yeah. <laughs> you hate the sun. And insects. I hate
0: being inconvenienced. <laughs> So, so they're packing and then they're on the plane. It happens really fast. And they actually get fed because that's a normal thing that happens on airplanes in the 90s.
1: That is nice. But the downside is they have the situation where you all have to watch the same movie. That's true. Which I do not prefer. There's like a three hour movie that... or No, no, no. Wait. There's like three movies. There's three movies in their flight. Yeah. And that was when the airline had to own a DVD <laughs> that it would put in so that you could all watch a movie.
0: Like you're its fucking children. Yeah. As Carolyn and Mark are eating their airplane food, Carolyn talks a little bit about Benna and her work. She has discovered two plants, including a creeping vine, and which she named after herself, which yeah, was just such a like colonialist move. Like I, I-, I discovered it.
1: Yeah, our science advisor Sam recently was talking to us about how there has been a movement in. The sciences away from naming things after people and towards naming things descriptive names, which makes more sense. So, not naming them after the person who "quote unquote" discovered them. But Bena didn't get that memo. Uh, she calls it the benalepticus
0: <laughs> And again, like expl- they're talking about exploring parts of the jungle no one has ever seen, but they mean white people.
1: The motive of goose scientists seems universally to be ego. I was going to say to discover things no one's discovered before. Mm. Is that the motive of science, like scientists?
0: So you're looking at me like I have an answer. My understanding is it's more to about expanding the field of human knowledge, whether that be improving mechanisms, whether that be understanding disease or life forms or whatever better. Although I'm sure like there are people who discover stuff all the time. My guess would be they don't set out to be like, I'm going to discover a new fish today so much as I was researching the ocean and I saw this fish that has not been documented to the best of my knowledge.
1: <laughs> yeah, I guess just goose scientists, yeah, they seem more like they're not going to do an experiment. They're just
0: going to wait around and see if they see something. If Yeah, if something wanders over to them. If someone comes up to them and is like, there's a mermaid, do you want to find it? Sure.
1: Right. And they also just strike me as a bit like Belle's father in Beauty and the Beast, where they're just like eccentric loners who are trying to come up with stuff. It's just making me think about Arlestein now.
0: Aw. <laughs> it's like, what's the equivalent of what I do but for science? Yeah. And then Carolyn asks about the last time he saw Benna. And at that time, Mark was four and Jessica was just a baby and asks if she brought him anything in particular. And he says, I I don't think so. I was four. I don't remember. Although tellingly, he
1: does think that the thing Aunt Benna taught him is something he came up with on his own.
0: That is just typical dude move.
1: Yeah. So they change planes to a little scary plane driven by a guy called Ernesto, who I just imagine in my head, he's friends with a pilot from Abominable Snowman yeah. of Pasadena. Like, they go
0: to small plane conferences together. Also, so he makes this joke about how, like, oh, I don't actually know how to land. You're going to have to jump out. And then he's like, ha, 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 what a funny joke. I kind of wonder if in the reprint they kept that, right? Because, like, now what do you think of when you think of people who know how to fly planes but not land them? I guess I think of September 11th. Yes, that was my point. <laughs> 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 oh, goose goose. Because they actually flew the plane and were were first like reported to intelligence as being like, They're these guys who want to learn to fly planes but not land them. If you have a copy of the reprint, let us know if they kept
1: that joke in. So they go over a bunch of islands and Mark, you know, is talking about his dream of weightlessness and how flying is related to that some of the islands had pirate treasure on them and i think that is a apt point to bring up because we essentially have some pirates right here in yeah. Benna and her colleagues yeah there's
0: a lack of awareness of that fact
1: yeah i really felt at this point that like, they're entering jonestown and so they land on this airstrip and there's just nothing there's a
0: headquarters with some cabins and there's an airstrip and there's nothing else but jungle and then the scientist comes out and says to carolyn does he have it And she says he does. Mark is like, huh, that doesn't seem auspicious at all.
1: No, 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 nothing to worry about there. So he's this white-haired man with eyes that look like blue glass marbles, which is kind of scary to picture, like if it's all blue. (laughs) And they're breathing these short, shallow breaths and seem excited. (laughs) Then another kid shows up. So this is the Sari equivalent.
0: Yeah, this is Kareen. I usually don't really make notes about the appearance, but just because of the context here, I was noting it. She's blonde. She's pale. She has blue eyes. And she wears a white t-shirt and white tennis shorts. It's like, I get it. Like, we've got our idealized whiteness here. We've got our Jane to his Tarzan, Mm -hmm. but that's
1: not how it falls out for them, ultimately. I was very bothered by the arc Kareen went on in so many ways. And her father sucks, so he took her out of school. She's supposed to be in school, and now she's just sitting around this cabin with nothing to do. Yeah. I don't know why he took her out of school. She's like, I want to go live with my grandmother in New Jersey, because her mother died when she was really young. Mm-hmm. We got the
0: Bad Dads Club here. We had it last, last week, too. Mm-hmm. But this one's a little bit more malicious.
1: I agree. It's unfortunate to me that Corrine ends up getting punished by the book because she's really not doing anything
0: wrong. She's just loyal to her father, doesn't really know what's happening. Well, we'll get into it. So this is when they tell Mark, so we weren't totally honest with you now that you're 4,000 miles away from home and without parents, loved ones, or any means of escaping. Turns out Ben has been lost for several weeks and they brought Mark to help find her because he has something called jungle magic. And my next note here is, come on. Well, and so the
1: nature of jungle magic appears to be when you call out this word, if you've been imbued with the magic, the
0: jungle will do stuff for you. If you also have this particular shrunken head.
1: Which is such a screwed up colonialist fantasy. Yeah. I will bend everything to my will. Everything will go out of its way for me.
0: Again, if I have this particular set of human remains that rather than bury, I carry around with me and force to do my bidding. Yep. Dr. Hollings is about to explain this is what jungle magic is. And Kareen and Carolyn are like, no, just give him a break. Let him relax. He doesn't need to know everything right now. They're like, let's have a Coke. Because apparently Ernesto brings them in cartons every so often. (laughs) And But it's just like, this is such a cheap way of building tension. It's like, oh, we tell explain something to you really easily right now. But to stretch it out, we're going to explain it to you later.
1: I mean, I could see being easily distracted as a 12-year-old. But I think he would want to know what jungle magic is.
0: Well, it's, he's not the one who's distracted. It's the other people who are like, no, 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 don't tell him.
1: Yeah, I don't know what their motive is there.
0: But we do learn a little bit about
1: the wildlife of Baladora. They have mosquitoes and scarlet ibises and
0: apparently a new kind of tree snail. That Aunt Benna is studying. Again, it's probably not new. She probably just noticed it. <laughs> but the other thing is, Scarlet Ibises, do you know where they're from? I'm going to say the Nile. South America and the Caribbean.
1: Wow, that's that. That's not Southeast Asia. So, so you're absolutely right that this was originally <laughs> South America, and they just changed it to Southeast Asia for some reason.
0: I don't know, but like that was such a weird detail. Like, why name check that specific bird? Well, I think
1: because the story was different before is the only mm-hmm. thing that makes sense, and also because he didn't, as we said, have Google. Yeah, we also learned some history. The Oloyan people, O-L-O-Y-A-N, used to live there hundreds of years ago and were head shrinkers. And Aunt Benna supposedly discovered the secret of their ancient magic and gave it to Mark, and he repressed the whole thing, which makes me wonder what's involved in the giving of magic process.
0: Yeah, a couple of things here I want to want to unpack, right? So first we have the idea of hypnotism and repression, right? That's such a late 80s early 90s Michelle remembers. The satanic panic story. And then the other thing is I googled Aloyan people's it appears to be made up. Then I googled Aloya just thinking well if that's that's maybe like the name. Uh, it just appears to be like a Ugandan name. Okay, so we're all over the world <laughs> here. Man. Yeah, and then again, we have the idea that someone can just be given magic as if it's an object rather than like part of a greater religious context. Well, it's
1: similar to what supposedly Uncle Ben did, where he translated a word basically, and that gave him some kind of power. Here, Aunt Benna, it seems like she just found some notes or something. I don't understand exactly what she found, if it was words or a ritual or what. I think it's just hand-waving, plot. Don't look over here. It just makes me think, is she an anthropologist then? She seems to be whatever the fuck she wants to be. (laughs) I think she might not be a scientist, just a person on an island. Kind of a gentleman scholar rather. Yeah. Then they just sort of let Mark go wandering off with Kareen. They're going around and they discover
0: a spider as big as a fist. And I wrote, nope, nope. And then she shows him some cool flytrap kind of plants. That's not relevant to the story. I just, I, I like those plants.
1: <laughs> Mark is in denial about his jungle magic. He says, I don't have any. I'm just a kid. You know, I'm just some ordinary guy. Then they all go off to their separate houses to sleep in. So they all have their own little cabin. For me, I would want to not be alone
0: in yeah. the jungle. So that night he can't sleep and goes out for a walk. And then he's like... Oh, I need a flashlight. That's why they told me that. It's like, yes, it's totally dark. How did you not realize you don't, you you need a flashlight? And he's wandering around in sandals when there's bugs and stuff everywhere. He sees lots of
1: eyes staring at him. And he remembers that Carolyn told him. Carolyn actually seems like kind of cool in certain ways. She told him, we are not in charge here at night. At night, this is the creature's world. I mean, that's just nature, man. It's rad (laughs) and also scary. I I don't know. I feel like this is scarier than the Arctic tundra of the abominable snowman. Because there are more things that want to eat you.
0: Exactly. Mm, Yeah. Well, anyway, what Mark is seeing as these eyes are a bunch of glowing shrunken heads. They don't have eyes. No, they don't have eyes.
1: But it's this huge pile of shrunken heads, which how did he not see? Right? (laughs) Like during the day, how did he not realize that those were there? I mean, we need to follow up on this later, but why is there a huge pile of them, right? If they were really from these peoples who were there hundreds of years before, I don't feel like they'd be just preserved in this pile.
0: I have a theory about that for later.
1: Oh, good. Well, here's where Mark realizes... Quote, they were all people once. Hundreds of years ago, they were people. And now, dot, dot, dot. And I would say, as you pointed out when we read The Curse of the Mummy's Tomb, now they are still people. They are
0: still people.
1: <laughs> uh, so alongside Mark's repressed memory, we have repressed historical memory. Mm-hmm.
0: So he goes out and eventually finds Aunt Benna's notebooks, which are handily full of exposition. Um, you sure are. <laughs> the gist of which is that Dr. Hollings and Carolyn are evil. Sorry, this is a sidebar, but at the time she was studying tree lizards. It's like,
1: no one studies tree lizards and tree snails. And creeping vines. Yeah. <laughs> and
0: magic. Tell us if we're wrong, scientists. Is there a job <laughs> description where you would do all of those? Actually, if you think about some, like, there was a McSweeney's piece of satire about a job posting for someone who does AI agriculture with a, like, with also a focus in performance studies. And I feel like if university budgets go the way they're going, that may be a thing in the future
1: fair enough yeah just be like the department of every natural science
0: yeah evidently if she does not give the secret of jungle magic to dr hollins he will shrink her head she gave it to mark if mark is away then dr hollins can't get jungle magic my note here's why feels really lazy
1: couldn't he find it out i mean can only one person have it at a time
0: no one gave it to her she just learned it somehow
1: yeah yeah I mean, I guess we don't know that she could have had a whole backstory relationship with someone she met in the jungle who passed it on to her. But she doesn't seem like the relationship type. And so I feel like she just read it on a cave somewhere, like a cave wall. I normally would never say that we're
0: trying too hard to make this make sense, but it might be the case this time. This is the thing I would normally say, like, this is lazy writing or this is that, but like this this one is just, it's not good. So the
1: Alloyans, we learn more specifically now that they lived here 200 years ago. So 1796 is when they kind of disappear, which tells me, well, that has definitely to do with colonialism,
0: right? In the late 18th yes, century. yes. I feel like she shouldn't have written all this down. And she left it behind because later we'll find she's hiding in the jungles. like, why didn't you fucking take your exposition books with you? I don't
1: know. And then Dr. Hollings, she says that he's going to shrink her head. Why? Again, why? If he just wants her dead, he could just kill her.
0: There's no reason for that specific action.
1: No. Anyway, we just are not going to worry about that. We're just going to go have some jungle hijinks.
0: Yeah. So Kareen shows up and says, "I'll help you. You should use jungle magic to find to find Benna. I want to find her too." And they get yeah because she was so nice
1: to me. It seems like something weird went
0: down very recently among all of them. Yeah. Corinne also points out a species of giant rabbit that Ben discovered. Yeah, yeah, it sounded cute. Well, that's the kind of thing, too. It was like, did you really discover it or did you just see it? And you're like, whoa, it's yeah, big. I'm sure you're not the first person to see this rabbit. Corrine <laughs> um, basically sends Mark to the jungle with a flashlight and says, jungle magic will get you the rest of the way. Mark gets there, he's because you know, you pass the tree line and you're in the jungle, and he realizes the jungle is alive. And at this point, I'm just like, what the fuck did he think it was before that? Just
1: setting the background <laughs> on his computer game. Yeah, but just yeah. I mean, this is what I'm saying with this whole simulacra and simulation type <laughs> of aspect to this book. He's not really seeing the jungle, he's seeing it as filtered through his video games and Tarzan movies, right? So it takes him a while to realize. Just like the shrunken heads are actually people and not just icons, the jungle is actually living plants and animals and not just a picture. Yeah. He passes a pile of shrunken heads. He feels a little sad for them. So he hears this weird noise that we never get an explanation of. auta <laughs> And he just falls asleep.
0: Yeah. And he dreams of heads telling him to hurry. Bouncing off of him. Yeah. <laughs> Then he wakes up and he's covered in giant ants. This was very upsetting. He has a lot of upsetting encounters with insects at this point and I skimmed it. And like a big weirdo, he
1: just yells his made up what he thinks is his made up jungle cry Kalia, which I don't think
0: you would do in this
1: circumstance.
0: Unless he just is the kind of kid who yells this all the fucking time, which is kind of what it sounds like. He yells it when he's playing the video game. Like I, I bet this is his catchphrase and he thinks it's really cool and everyone is like, oh my God, this fucking Mark guy.
1: Yeah, no, that's true. Yeah, he's trying to make a catchphrase. He's trying to make Kalia happen. Suddenly the head is glowing and he's like, oh, I have jungle magic. And all the ants drop off of him when he says this word. And so he says, okay, now all of a sudden for some reason I know where to go find Aunt Benna. Like, I have the jungle magic. I'm confident. And it's not that he's actually finding her though, right? The head is pointing him in the way to go.
0: It's like saying, I found my way to the house. I just had Google Maps on, you know? It didn't have, it didn't play any role in the matter. He's a <laughs> right, really good navigator.
1: So he immediately falls in quicksand.
0: Mhm. And then he's remembering how one of his friends told him there's no such thing as quicksand. Which like,
1: there isn't.
0: There is. Not. There is. No. Yeah. I looked up. So like it technically exists but you can't sink in it. Yeah, that's what that's the Yeah. Thing. Yeah, it's not quicksand like in the movies. No, you can't be drowned in it. It's because of the density.
1: Well, and so this is why I feel, A, I feel we've had this conversation before, (laughs) but I was saying quicksand's not real because of what you just said. And you're saying it is real, but it's this. Yeah, exactly. Same idea. Yeah, same idea. But... This is why I'm saying this whole thing is a simulation, right? This mm-hmm. is just him swept up in his video game because yeah. even the book is saying this doesn't happen in real life. Mm-hmm. and But it happens to him because he's living in a
0: cartoon jungle, not a real one. Well, anyway, this uh, happens so that he can realize that he can't just say the word. He has to be holding the specific head, and he realizes he's dropped it. He gets it. The head is apparently a compass now, and its eyes will glow. Again, eyes that it doesn't have will glow according to which direction he's supposed to go in. And then a tiger comes after him.
1: Oh, and before that, though, so when he uses the jungle magic, vines pull him out. Mm-hmm. But they I noticed they pull him out quickly, which is actually the opposite of what you want to do if you're sinking in something sticky. Say right. a tar pit or something that, that creates all... tremendous pressure and yeah. suction. Yeah. You want to gradually yeah. ease your way out. <laughs> you know, news you can use, Goose Punks. We're we here to give it to you. Next
0: time you use magic, make the vine slow down. Next time you're sink, uh, stuck in something sticky. Yeah. Listen to this podcast, you know? <laughs> yes. Yeah, so anyway, a tiger comes after him. He says his magic word and the earth splits open.
1: Yeah. It's a really unpredictable (laughs) bit of magic. It really is. It's kind of fucking with him. Yeah. It's like, Oh, you want me to rescue you? I'll do it in a really weird way that'll partly harm you.
0: And then also when he's looking up, he sees the tiger looking down and then two little cubs pop their heads over and the mom is like no and like sort of she pushes one away from the edge and picks the other one up in her mouth and is like on our way now. Corrine shows up and she says, actually, I've been following you. She gets him out of this pit that's opened up in the earth and they go look for Benna together. Corrine, at this point also tells Mark that her dad and Benna fought because apparently her father wants to develop the jungle for extracting minerals or something like that.
1: Yeah, it has valuable minerals, apparently. And she says he's not evil and that he cares about Benna and respects her, which I was surprised at this point. They're really humanizing the bad guys in this. They're making Richard Hollings much more complicated
0: than he needs to be by giving
1: him a daughter who loves him.
0: I mean, is it complicated or can it be like hand-waved wave of being like, oh, these are all lies?
1: I guess it could. I just feel she came across to me as sincere and also she's 12. So to me, maybe I would have read this different as a 12-year-old and would have held her more responsible. But to me as an adult, and like, this 12-year-old is definitely not responsible for her father's ideologies
0: yeah she doesn't deserve to be shrunk down to the size of a mouse and like eaten by something in the jungle
1: yeah that's on her dad as they're going along mark says that this is all so much more realistic than in my jungle king game no shit it's like wow
0: more realistic than a computer game in 1996
1: <laughs> get VR- out of here
0: vr is gonna blow his mind <laughs> so they find a shack in the woods And they open the door, and Benna is there wearing the colonialist uniform of khaki safari jacket and khaki pants.
1: Yeah. And also... It says she's very short, but then it says she's a foot taller than Mark. So an average 12-year-old boy is 59 inches tall. So that makes her six feet tall, right? Unless he's short and not he's average sh- height. So he's short for his age, but like, how short would he have to be? Like, if he, is he four and a half feet tall? Because then she's still five and a half feet tall, which is pretty tall for a woman.
0: Yeah, I don't have an answer for you. <laughs>
1: okay <laughs> well she's short and she kind of looks like him and uh, she's got the same build mm. more body watch yeah and she doesn't know who karine is yep Red never flag. seen her before
0: yeah and then she fills in some stuff about how she gave mark jungle i was actually jungle madness jungle magic through hypnosis and she's pissed at him she's like didn't
1: you read my damn notebook i said don't come here don't bring those people here don't tell them the word that's yeah. what my notebook said
0: And I didn't mail it to you or, or, you know, prevent this from
1: happening in the first place. Yeah, I guess she could have done her part, too. Yeah, But she is annoyed that
0: he brought the enemy to them yes and then predictably Corrine calls over her father dr hollings and, Car- and carolyn have been you know following all along obviously even though benna says don't tell them the secret word Corrine has obviously heard it and she says you know if your
1: father needed your help what would you do mm-hmm. right which i feel again like we have some
0: degree of sympathy for her and then they lock them uh mark and benna in the shack overnight and then leave them back in the morning like why they wanted to go to sleep, I guess. But, like, they, they're they guarding them. They're probably not sleeping. Maybe they are. Maybe Benna could... I mean, but they can't leave. That's the thing. They're in the... They're, how big is they're the shack They're in island? a shack that's made out of, like, leaves. They could just, like, push open one of the walls. Like, I, I feel like they could get away fairly easily. But where do they go? Without the puddle jumper. They could double back to the research station and call it. I, I just feel so. like, just like sitting there. And all, like, I just don't understand any of these plans. I guess Arlstein wanted it to be day for the next part. Mm-hmm. Well, so we learn from Benna that this specific head is needed for the magic. And she says, oh, but they don't know that. But Carolyn brought this specific head when she visited it Mark. So clearly like they she do. Also, when Mark wakes up, the shrunken head is talking to him and goes, you are doomed. <laughs> oh, yeah. And the other thing is, Karine is. she says, oh, I heard the word, it's, and Mark clamps his hands over her mouth. But he's not doing that all night. There's a lot in this. It's like when the moment you mentioned earlier, where and they first
1: start to tell him about jungle magic, and then Corrine distracts him. It seems like these people have a really hard time with attention span. <laughs> Again, on this idea of maybe they're in a video game, that would actually work in some video game logic, right? Where you mm. start a conversation with the person, and then... Like, you can get out of it, and you're just awkwardly both standing there, not actively talking to each other. Because or there's you're... the option,
0: I don't want to talk about that right now. Yeah, exactly. Do something else. Right. Next day, they lead them back, and there's a big boiling cauldron in the back of headquarters. It's straight out of Curse of the Mummy's Tomb. So because Benna won't give them the secret to jungle magic, they're going to toss them in the pot to shrink them. It's pretty fucked up. Well, OK, so a couple of questions. First of all, why? It's intimated that Dr. Hollings has a gun. He, It said he has a pistol. It's not just intimated. Yeah. He has a pistol. Yeah. He could shoot them. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like, if you're going to kill them, why do this? And also, that's not how you make a shrunken head, by throwing an entire person in a cauldron.
1: I don't really know how you do it, but... I'm going to say, first of all, the reason that they do it is because Arlstein was like, I tried to write a book about a shrunken head and I didn't really know how to do it, (laughs) but I had to bring that back in somehow. So he put this in. But second of all, maybe Richard Hollings is just a fucked up guy. Like he's a serial killer? Well, that's the thing. I think he's like, it's just like in Curse of the Mummy's Tomb where you just have someone who really likes murdering people. And maybe that's part why there's a huge pile of shrunken heads on the island is he just keeps doing this. I mean, maybe it's not people from 200 years ago. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's people from quite recently. Ha <laughs> ha just like remembering Curse Mummy's Tomb, there was all these recently made mummies yeah. who were mummified alive. The most
0: horrifying moment in Goosebumps. I think that makes a lot more sense than the explanation we get here.
1: Well, one thing I really liked, actually, so Kareen is willing to put her father first, right? She's like, what would you do if your father, you know, needed help? Even if it compromises my morals, I'm going to support him. Aunt Bennett does the opposite. Mm-hmm. So she's given the opportunity to save Mark's life. And she's like, nope, <laughs> my principles come first. And it's actually not a good look.
0: Yeah. I will let a 12 year old die for in order to protect jungle magic. Again, she quote-unquote gave it to him. So wouldn't it die with him? Does she get it back? How does that
1: work? I don't know. And I don't really believe her that this is about protecting the island's mineral resources.
0: Oh, fuck no. <laughs> I don't believe her for a fucking minute. They were, had worked out some sort of signal where she'd blink three times when they try and make a break for it. Why um, do they even
1: have to wait? I don't know. He could just pull out the head right now and say the word. Why does he have to wait till the opportune moment?
0: Well, opportune moment comes, he takes out the head, and then Dr. Hollings just takes it and throws it in the pile of other heads. So then Mark jumps... In into
1: a pile of heads, which I thought was the closest this book came to truly icky mm-hmm. and
0: and scary. He's just in a pile of shrunken heads. Like, ugh. Yeah. He can't find it, despite the fact that like he just saw where it went. And he identifies the correct head by the scratch that Jessica gave it on its ear.
1: Really coherent plot here in that one respect.
0: <sighs> and then he says the magic word and all three of the, the antagonists shrink. My next note is... What? Yes. And then they say, now the jungle is safe and the world is safe. Yeah. What?
1: The in- <laughs> what? So there's an interesting elision that happens here, because first Mark says, the jungle magic, it saved us. And then Aunt Benna says, you did it, Mark. The jungle is safe now. And I think the first one was right. Mm-hmm. It wasn't Mark.
0: It-, it was not Mark. And it wasn't Benna.
1: And Mark didn't even say it was himself, you know. But that's Aunt Benna's approach to the world around her. I saved it. I named
0: it. I found it. Yeah. It is mine. So they go home. She takes the jungle magic from him. I'm not sure the extent to which his parents are informed about what happened. Yeah, she just t- gets him alone
1: and hypnotizes him. So then he's just a normal person again. And I guess she just gets to amass all of the knowledge and power.
0: Yeah. And he decides he wants to keep the human remains. And so our final fake out is he's taking it to school, you know, to show off human remains to your friends as you do. And then the head starts talking. Talking in his pocket and says, "I want to tell the part about the tiger." I wonder when it learned English. Like I was just gonna say, like it doesn't have a tongue; it does not relate it to anything <laughs> that can talk. Its but... mouth is sewn shut, yeah. as we can see on the cover. I also wonder what happened to
1: Carolyn and Kareen and Doctor Hollings. Are they okay? Did they just leave them there?
0: Did they bring them home in a, like a little mouse cage? I Don't think they brought them home. They just scurried off. I think Ben is just not concerned with it.
1: Well, no real wrap up, but let's try to make let's try to stick some of these pieces together taxonomies
0: one of the ones I had was something along the lines of problematic scientists does things that are problematic and I, something I th- <laughs> so well put <laughs> yeah something I thought of a recent novel which is not really horror but has like certainly horrific elements is the people in the trees by Hanya Yanagihara oh yeah
1: good call that book was so upsetting and good yeah folks you should read that it, it's excellent it's about this researcher who goes to, he's an anthropologist right and he goes to study these people on an island who can live forever, Mm -hmm. but then he ends up screwing everything up for them, and I guess I don't want to spoil anything, but he's bad. Yeah, yeah. I had one that was also the Bad Researcher, but I had it as a subcategory under a larger category, which is Jungle Horror. Mm -hmm. So I had three subcategories under Jungle Horror. Um, Two are kind of related. So the first one, the books explicitly referenced, which is old Tarzan films. Uh, I, I haven't actually read any of the Tarzan books by Edgar Rice Burroughs, but I have read his Chronicles of Mars series which is very similar and his star of the Mars series John Carter he is a confederate soldier who is on the run from Apaches when the book begins and he goes into a cave and just ends up on Mars somehow when he goes into the cave but that's the perspective we're looking at here I feel like the jungle became uh, well we conquered this continent so what else can we go and conquer right we've there's this sense that either you know we've achieved manifest destiny or we've been thwarted into these particular ways, right? The South will rise again, whatever. Um, And so what is a place we can go and there won't be all these, you know, social policies in my way trying to keep me from just steamrollering people. And so Mars is one Edgar Rice Burroughs comes up with, and the jungle writ large, as we see in this book, too, where it's like any jungle is another.
0: Well, and that's so baked into a lot of the rhetoric we're hearing now about, quote unquote, colonizing Mars, right? And settling on Mars. And there's just this lack of self-awareness. And part of me wonders, too, if some of it is primed by things like that being, you know, in our cultural consciousness. Like, we are so familiar with stories of colonizing, settling Mars, that there's sort of no question about is there is there maybe a pattern here that we should think about like something we could do differently
1: well and another tension that's always in these types of stories that we also see here is first of all the fantasy is me this white guy is so much more powerful and knowledgeable and good than these people that i'm going to go see that they will accept me as their ruler i will quickly rise in their society but then the other thing is like but i'm also better than those white people i was just with because i can relate to these indigenous people and I have some of their powers and I fit right into their society so I'm like strong in both ways and weak in none and, and that's exactly what Mark is doing.
0: That's You know there was actually Nazi propaganda to that effect about Africa Wow. because so Germany had in relative terms a fairly brief part in the like colonial struggle over Africa and then had to surrender its colonies as a part of the terms of World War I treaty mm-hmm. and so in the Nazi era there was a lot of propaganda called like the myth of the loyal African soldier claiming that Native Africans didn't want to fight for the British. They wanted to fight for the Germans because they were such better masters, right? Wow! And I, in graduate school, we had to watch part of this film called, I think it was called like Germanine or something about the development of the malaria vaccine. And it's about this like noble German who's sacrificing himself and how the British just don't get it. And like, but the entire part, the entire sort of message of it is Germany should be the one colonizing Africa.
1: You know, one thing I will say in this story's favor, and I don't think it's on purpose. It is because it's, uh, was maybe not Arlstein's most careful work is that you have a pile of heads staring at this kid all the time when he's on the island, right? He goes out there and it's like, oh, we're going to go explore this jungle. We're going to discover things. We're going to protect it, you know? Yeah. That's what we came here to do is protect it. The jungle that's empty of people. But then the entire time there's just a bunch of dead bodies of the people who live there before him staring at him. Yeah. And I think that's really important to keep in mind. Like, if you were to film this, which I doubt they made this into a TV episode, but I don't know. I don't know. Ugh, if they did, it's probably pretty rough, but it'd be hard to film that without it, that image haunting you the whole time of guilt, right? Mm-hmm. The other kind of jungle horror I had, I guess I could dovetail these two into one, really. So I was thinking of, to go back to your point about the scientist, so the scientist whose research overtakes them in some way, yeah, uh, especially if they're in an isolated place. Uh, so I thought about Swamp Thing,
0: mm, um, yeah, right?
1: The scientist basically becomes one with the swamp, and he becomes becomes completely one with his research and I was also thinking about that X-Files episode Firewalker where isn't it Bradley Whitford ends up like going to live in the volcano oh (laughs) right relatedly this isn't science specific but I thought about stories like Jonestown which
0: I mentioned earlier or Heart of Darkness Mm -hmm. I thought Aunt Benna was a real Mr. Kurtz Mm -hmm. I, I mean I was thinking about that and like obviously Jonestown is a real thing but Heart of Darkness is one of those things where you go to the Heart of Africa and you find you know you are the one who is you know has the heart Heart of Darkness or whatever, I was hesitant to, if I should bring this up or not. But I was also thinking about the movie Cannibal Holocaust, which is trying mm-hmm. essentially to make that same point, but horribly. And I don't recommend you watch it if you haven't seen it. I mean, Heart of Darkness is it horribly too, right? Yeah. That's
1: one of the reasons people write about it so much is because no one can decide, is this about the narrator and also... Kurtz being horrible or is this just a horrible story perpetuating racist ideas and I
0: think the sort of prevailing theory is it's both
1: yeah exactly and, um, and can't absolve itself of the latter right. and definitely that's the case with Cannibal Holocaust
0: but yeah and it's and I was thinking about I hate the, that movie. I hate it so much and I was just thinking about it earlier right with you know the researcher goes and becomes corrupted or whatever because that's also sort of the fundamental premise which again don't watch it if, if you haven't seen it no don't um, give any money to that or just don't give it to your brain <laughs> like, yeah it's a way of forming a narrative that then sort of gets caught in this cycle, right? Of in critiquing the thing, am I replicating the thing? Not that Goosebumps is performing any kind of critique, by the way.
1: If it is, it's perhaps accidentally in that Mark goes to the jungle, thinks he is there to dominate it, projects these cartoonish video game narratives onto it, and then they, no one actually in the jungle is doing the things that he says that they're doing except for the other white people there, right? And then he's the one who ends up shrinking people's heads and entire bodies mm-hmm. so it's really just his fucked up fantasies that he's projecting onto a place that he sees as blank and there to be dominated yeah. also the extreme paranoia that creates right because that's something that i think typifies cannibal holocaust as well as Heart of darkness is this feeling of paranoia overtaking the person and of course paranoia is going to overtake you if in fact it's your own screwed up thoughts that are upsetting you Even if you're thinking it's other people thinking them about you, you can't get away from them if it's actually you that's come up with them. Yeah other taxonomies.
0: (laughs) Well, speaking of, you know, your own paranoid thoughts, one that comes out also of a lot of colonialist literature, whatever, or narratives, fantasies, which is bringing something back from another culture that will somehow corrupt, bring some kind of magic that disrupts the system. You already brought up X-Files, and I'm bringing it up, too, with the episode Our Town. I have that written down, too. Hey! Yeah, what were you going to say about Our Town? Oh,
1: it's separate. I have it under a whole head shrinking category. Oh, hey.
0: Well, it's similar, though, It's because because the thing that's brought back is a specific kind of artifact, right? From the cannibalistic Yale tribe from New Guinea. All right, then. <laughs> According to what I read, not where head shrinking happened. Yeah. So cultural specific objects that, again, can be removed from their context and made to like bend to the will of whatever white person did it, but also inevitably, maybe not inevitably, but usually inevitably ends up being like, oh, no, like we've corrupted our special whiteness.
1: Right, exactly. Or or that person becomes this John Carter-esque Superman who can bend both worlds to his will from the powers he gets from both, right? Yeah. Like as I said, I had the R-Town episode down as well, which was in 1995, so right before this came mm-hmm. out. And a year before that, there was a – so this is my head-shrinking uh, taxonomic category – there was a 1994 film directed by Danny Elfman's brother Richard <laughs> called Shrunken Heads. <laughs> and it sounds terrible, when a New York City street gang—so we're already in a good place here—murders right. three teenagers, a Haitian voodoo priest, oh no, reanimates them as shrunken heads. So these youths subsequently exact revenge on their killers. But
0: they're just heads.
1: They're shrunken heads. One carries a switchblade in its mouth. That's the black one. Ugh. They all have like a different thing that they can do to attack people. But there's just floating shrunken heads. These three kids teens whatever well at least they can float I don't have to roll <laughs> the only good thing i can imagine about this movie is it has a character called big mo a tough lesbian mob boss <laughs> that might have been one of the inspirations for this, or had gotten shrunken heads on Arlstein's mind. Although I feel like the mid-90s had a real jungle moment, because there was also George of the Jungle in, I think, 97 or so.
0: And I also wonder, I mean, he also, I'm sure, read all of those pulps where, because yeah. Indiana Jones is another, like, adventure story, because that that was another sort of thing I was looking at. And Arlstein wrote some of those, the novelizations. Uh, yeah, exactly. So this, like, genre of adventure fiction, which also harkens back to this sort of, quote-unquote, golden age of comics, and, and, you know, so many of the stories that he's Reproducing are these older things from comics that he's repackaging in, you know, to make it look like it's from the '90s.
1: Yeah, exactly. Which I guess just means add a video game. Yeah, and a Koosh ball.
0: Yeah, or two Koosh balls. Koosh ball.
1: <laughs> My other taxonomy category was magical or cursed objects. Mm-hmm. And specifically, this reminded me a lot of Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, because Hmm. it's just so goddamn inexplicable. And it has the same, someone shows up, you've never seen them before, they give you a weird object, you have to go on this quest into the forest that doesn't make sense, where you meet someone who you know but don't know, and then there's a betrayal, and then you just go home. Yeah, That's Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, (laughs) and that's this book. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know if this was a quest to prove himself in some way but I don't I guess Sir Gawain and the Green Knight in a way isn't really because at the end of the story the people at King Arthur's Court are like oh Gawain you're so cool like you you really you really stood up to the tests that were put in front of you and he's like i did not <laughs> and i'm ashamed of myself i am just some guy who failed a lot and actually that kind of is Mark's story too right people mm-hmm. are like you yeah, have jungle magic and he's like i don't and then he... that's the beginning of his story though because well, the end yeah. at the end it
0: gets taken away from him that's true and, and like... he just does have this weird object to show for it
1: and friends who he probably won't keep for very long
0: yeah if he doesn't learn to share his console he's not going to keep them for very long
1: but yeah you're Right, exactly like Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, he has an object that is just a symbol of what he doesn't have,
0: and also loses its meaning, right? Because everybody at King Arthur's court wants to have the same scarf as Gawain, but they didn't undergo the same trials. It's just like, haha, we are we are fashionable, also. Yeah, we're also wearing green. <laughs> cool. Do you have any other taxonomies? Uh, I mean, my final uh, taxonomy was. Everything in nature wants to eat you, including plants and animals. Mm. And my example was nature. Just all of (laughs) nature. It's scary.
1: It is. Yes. And we've seen that elsewhere, for example, in Werewolf of Fever Swamp. Another one that plays on that pretty well. Uh, So does the Barking Ghost also plays on that. You go into the woods and everything wants to kill you. Abominable snowman a little bit. But just nature's scary. Let's Mm. not forget. Yeah. Shared universe. I didn't have any. Okay. Well, I had two. One is Tree Snail, Newly Discovered. Is it related to Mortman? Is
0: it related to King Jelly Jam? <laughs> Maybe. Is it the natural food of the Mortman, but its uh, origin is it was sweated out by a jelly jam? Maybe. Yes. So that was one thing. And then Kalia sounded to me a
1: lot like Slappy's language. Mm. The Karu, etc. When Arlstein makes it the language, there's some shared vowel sounds that mm-hmm. he in consonant combinations that he goes for. So I wondered if it was related to Slappy's magic somehow, because he is also very interested in bending the universe to his will.
0: The question that naturally comes up for me then is how does the white worm figure into these words? Oh,
1: good question. Well, I wonder if there's a sort of taxonomic, in Mm. the biological sense, division that happened where the trees of this jungle carry a particular type of jungle magic, maybe attached to a particular type of goopy insect. And then Slappy, we know, is from the Black Forest. So his is like a variant. He's from a variant of that same strain, that same creature that just...
0: It's like slightly different. It's the German version. I could think of an alternate explanation. So in both cases, just having the object isn't enough and just having the word isn't enough, right? You have yeah. to have both a particular object and a particular word that goes with it. And so there has to be some sort of matching of those two where, you know, s- s- dummies have to be woken up by these specific words. Whether or not a worm or a sandwich in the brain is involved, jury's out. But <laughs> with, um you know, with Mark, it has to be this specific shrunken head and this word. So I wonder if it's maybe there are are specific objects that can be animated by specific words and it's the sort of bringing of those two things together that's what ma- what makes it and that's a sort of bigger principle rather than like it's specific to this kind of species
1: that makes sense i mean it's probably in stanley's book somewhere mm. right and so this is the word that doesn't apply to sca- scarecrows but rather to shrunken heads but... which
0: is good because he you know says the words the words out loud as he reads the book he sure does <laughs> <laughs> yeah
1: any other theories and queries?
0: Yeah. So I read a little bit about
1: uh, shrunken heads. Ooh! Do you want to know some facts? I do. I actually, one of my theories and queries points
0: was shrunken heads. What's the real story? And I didn't look anything up. <laughs> well, lucky for you, I did. What I didn't copy down was the process of how they're made because I thought that would gross you out. Yeah, it would. But it, well, all I'll say is it's not like this. You don't throw a whole person into boiling water. I actually want to know. Basically, so there's head hunting and head shrinking. And head shrinking is the thing that we're thinking about. I wouldn't think too many people came up with that. (laughs) Yeah. So head hunting occurred in many regions of the world, but the practice of head shrinking has only been documented in the northwestern region of the Amazon rainforest. This is from Wikipedia, by the way. And so the practice of preparing shrunken heads, do you know anything about it? No. No. It would be enemy combatants for the most part.
1: Yeah, that, I think I've heard that before, yeah.
0: Yeah. The practice of preparing shrunken heads originally had religious significance. Shrinking the head of an enemy was believed to harness the spirit of the enemy and compel him to serve the shrinker. It was also said to prevent the soul from avenging his death, which is part of why they sewed the eyes and the mouth shut. Mm. Many heads were later used in religious ceremonies and feasts that celebrated the victories of the tribe. Again, it's not that they were eaten, it's that they might have been part of these rituals. And accounts varied as to whether the heads were like kept over a long period of time or thrown away. tell me to stop if it gets too gross they would take the skin off the head they would you know sew the stuff shut they'd they'd stuff it with some things like tannins and other herbs and things related to that and they'd, they'd wrap it over a wooden ball and boil it until it was like the size but it's mostly skin and then it's got a form underneath to sort of keep it that makes sense somewhat of a shape where this kind of merges with our story here so when Westerners discovered this, What do you think happened?
1: They tried to get a whole bunch of them. Yeah. And wanted to do it themselves.
0: Kind of. So when, or I mean, probably, but. And we're like, you're all bad for doing this. Yes. Give it to me now. Yeah. So they created an economic demand for shrunken heads. Oh my God. Of course. Of course they fucking did. And so there was a sharp increase in the rate of killings Mm. to supply tourists and collectors of ethnographic items. And I'm
1: sure like, as people were colonizing as well, it's like, well, I can't live the way I had lived, so I have to make money now, so...
0: Yeah, I can't just farm my fucking food. Right. And, and, and like, eat
1: British pounds or something. Yeah,
0: exactly. And also, the terms headhunting and headhunting parties come from this practice. So, also encouraged by this trade, people in Colombia and Panama, unconnected to the tribes that did this, began to make counterfeit heads. <laughs> and they... So they use corpses from morgues. Oh uh, or, my god. Or the heads of uh, monkeys or sloths. Some Aww. use goatskin. So, so in addition to, like, murder, it's also... There are a bunch of counterfeit ones. It's estimated that about 80% of shrunken heads in private hands and in museums are fakes, including almost all that are female or that also have a torso because you wouldn't have yeah. killed a woman as an enemy combatant in this yeah. situation. So yeah, some other rando facts. So in 1999, the Mu- National Museum of the American Indian repatriated its authentic shrunken heads uh in its collection to Ecuador. Most other countries have banned the trade. Currently, replica shrunken heads are manufactured as curios for the tourist trade. They're made from leather and animal hides formed to resemble the originals. Yuck. So sometimes with stuff like this, I'll also click over to German Wikipedia to see if there's any like supplementary (laughs) information. This seems to have not been updated recently, but apparently since June 2015 in Munich, there was, has been this trial going on. And again, it might be finished since then. Maybe this wasn't updated, but there's this question of whether a shrunken head is primarily a object of historical interest or human remains. One of them came up for auction at an auction house. And so people were like, uh, no, you should bury that. And some people wanted to like be able to bid on it.
1: Wow. Yeah. And you said you have a theory about that Related to the pile of heads on the island.
0: Yeah. So, what if they're counterfeits?
1: Oh, so is that like a side hustle for Carolyn or whoever is making funding their research fake fake by shrunken fake heads? shrunken
0: heads? And like maybe that's that's why the one that Mark has works, you know, quote unquote, is because it's a real one. Well, that would make this a lot less disturbing
1: for sure. Somewhat. That's a really messed up history. But I think the thing that gets me most upset about it is that it's such a stupid reason why all these people died, right? Yeah. And animals, right? Mm-hmm. And, but, I mean, you know, everyone who died for the sake of people wanting a shrunken head. It's like, oh, for my cabinet of curiosities. Right. Or so I can seem like a traveler. So I can seem like I got a cool souvenir that other people don't
0: have. Because, like, the original practice, like, I'm not saying, like, oh, this is so good. They weren't killed in order to be right. become shrunken heads. Like, they were killed in, in combat. And this was a, like, response to that.
1: Yeah, exactly. I have a harder time wrapping my head around the thought process that looks at that with no context, thinks it's horrifying, and then wants one. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's to some extent wrapped up in this sense that if something really scares me, I need to have it so that I can't be scared of it anymore, which is also the logic of wanting to
0: colonize and dominate, right? hmm In addition to just wealth. Yeah. And material gain. Well, I think it's probably bound up in the colonialist views that these aren't people the way that I am people. Yeah, which true. is which is what Mark is showing, right? Which is like uh, he has like has moments of realization that oh, these were people once and continue to be people. So I think that probably that's wrapped up in this mindset too.
1: I think it could be a way of trying to commodify the people that you're trying to conquer,
0: right? Yeah, in order to not feel bad about yourself for doing it, right? Transforming people into
1: into a commodity, mm-hmm. yeah,
0: as as they also
1: did. Well, it's 1996 now. Do you want to hear some things that in our continuing, we didn't start the fire, <laughs> some things that happened in 1996? My question in all of this is how can these contexts shed light on what we're seeing in this story? So 1996 was quite a year. First clamshell mobile phone. <laughs> Disney acquires ABC. The Bosnian government declares an end to the siege on Sarajevo. Chechnya and the Russian government clash repeatedly, eventually resulting in a ceasefire. There's escalating terror attacks in the Middle East, and bin Laden declares jihad on the U.S. if they don't get out of Saudi Arabia. Braveheart wins Best Picture. (laughs) Massacres of the Hutus by Tutsis in Burundi. Ted Kaczynski is arrested. I guess that's our third time mentioning (laughs) Ted.
0: He's come up a lot lately.
1: Yugoslavia recognized by the EU.
0: Nintendo 64 released. Wow. Sorry, it's not that the other ones aren't wow, it's just like, <laughs> it's weird that the Nintendo 64 exists at the same time as all of those I other know, things. for the first time. For the first time. Dolly the Sheep is born. Oh, damn.
1: The Summer Olympics are held in Atlanta, and we all remember the Magnificent Seven of the 1996 women's U.S. gymnastics team. Carrie Strug. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you know, doing the vault and hurting her ankle. When... Oh, that one. Yes. yes. I do remember that. Bob Dole faces off with Bill Clinton. <laughs> Tupac dies. JonBenet Ramsey dies, and there's a lot of bad snow
0: and ice storms. Anything among this can help us understand what we're seeing in this book. Well, if this is the first book of 1996, it was probably written in 1995.
1: Right. So we're seeing what's ahead, mm, basically, in this world that Mark
0: is going into. So we're seeing the
1: f- these are the fract- the fractures are happening right now that are going to result in this list I've just given us.
0: I think Arlstein is realizing he's increasingly going to have to deal with the reality of video games. <laughs> yeah. Probably he's continuing to be in denial about the existence of mobile phones, because one thing we learned from his masterclass was like, get rid of technology because it's a it's bad for horror plots. <laughs> Yeah. I'm, I'm just thinking about all the world conflicts you just named. Um, so many, right? Right. So I guess amidst all this world conflict, there's, you know what? Here's a place that there's no people, right. right? It's just this, there's only five people here.
1: Yeah. Like rather than looking at all these outcomes of the types of things that Mark is actually participating in, we're looking at you know, outcomes of things like colonialism and seeing how horrifyingly violent it is. Exactly as you're saying, like, let's imagine a place that's really untouched where nobody hurt anybody and we can still have our fantasies of ruling the jungle.
0: Yeah. Pretending that no
1: one is hurt by that. Right. It's just an adventure.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. I also was thinking about Braveheart winning best picture Mm -hmm. being relevant to this book, right? Mel Gibson. Well, just Braveheart is such a fantasy of white guy wild, right? Yeah, he's he's a white guy, but he's an underdog, and he's in war paint, and he's facing off against his colonizer, which is the English, right? Yeah. So a lot of denial like, going on here.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like, let me role play myself as Native Americans without acknowledging Native yeah. Americans, and but also be like the triumphant underdog hero, but Scottish.
1: Yeah, exactly. All of those things.
0: <laughs> so well. On, what? A, on, oh. a, on a scale of one to five bewares, what would you give How I Got My Shrunken Head? I might give it a one and a half. That's generous. I'm giving it a one. Yeah. I love
1: everything that R.L. Stein has done for me, but I just, you know, in the classical world and in ancient poetic theory, there was the phrase, even Homer nods, you know, <laughs> and I think this was even R.L. Stein, you know, we fell asleep a
0: little while he was writing this one. Oh, nods. I say, Like nods off. Yeah. Okay. I feel like some of the stories that he recycles, there are interesting things you can do with and obviously they're problematic in their own ways, but this just feels like the entire premise just feels so oh, stupid. I, I was gonna say irredeemable, but it felt too strong, but also it's kind of how I feel. It's just like and, and again, maybe it's also because like I'm less invested in adventure fiction. I just think you shouldn't have you shouldn't have written this one, bro. Nineteen ninety six. It was too too late to be doing this still. Yes. Yes.
1: Not that it was ever
0: justified. No, but it's like you kind of need to junk the premise. Like like the whole concept of like white guy goes to, to jungle, saves the day. There are no native peoples unless they're dead. Like it's just starting from that place. There's nowhere you can go. I'm sure there are a lot of things that we have read and talked about that some people would say, well, you should junk those too. And like, fair enough. Well, you we should sure... junk most human creation. <laughs> yeah, most human. Most human, cre- most of human endeavors. But speaking of things that aren't junk, what are we reading next? Next week, we are reading The Babysitter 2. Yes. Taking a little detour out of the Gooseverse again.
1: I am very much looking forward to it. You know, I really liked The Babysitter 1. Sometimes R.L. Stein really gets his franchises right. I hope she dumps Chuck. Yeah, I hope Chuck's not in it. Yeah. I guess we'll find out. (laughs) <laughs> well, GoosePunks, tell us what you think. Did we just miss the point? Was this good somehow?
0: Or do you just want to vent about how bad it is? I'm here oh, for even that. better. Yeah. yeah.
1: Please, let us know. If you want to share the specific things that annoyed you or your explanation for why this was set in Southeast Asia, we are all ears. <laughs> you can get in touch with us on Twitter and Instagram at and Die,
0: Or email us at SayPodAndDie at gmail.com.
1: And while you're doing stuff on your computer, why don't you pop on over to Apple Podcasts and give us five bewares and a glowing review. It helps more people find our show. And it
0: makes us feel happy. It does. Listener beware. Those Those were were the the scares. scares. Good boo. Good boo.
1: I leaned forward and read Aunt Benna's words. Dr. Hollings and his sister Carolyn will stop at nothing to destroy the jungle and all the creatures who live here, my aunt wrote in her bold, clear handwriting. They care only about getting what they want. Finding the secret of jungle magic in that cave was my most amazing discovery, Aunt Benna wrote. But I know the secret is not safe as long as Dr. Hollings and Carolyn are around. And so I have given the jungle magic and its secret to my nephew, Mark. He lives 4,000 miles away in the United States, and I hope the secret will be safe. If the jungle magic ever falls into Hollings' hands, my aunt continued, the island of Balladora will be destroyed, and so will I. He will shrink my head until there is no trace of me. I must keep my nephew 4,000 miles away from Hollings, because he will shrink Mark's head too, to get at the magic I have hidden there. Shrink my head? I read the last words again. But I'm I'm not 4000 miles away, I told myself. I'm right here. God, that was a terrible point.